Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me. I hope you call in with your questions during this hour. Anything money, investment, saving related, retirement related, I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind so we can guide this show to help you more specifically. Okay, so each weekday on Invest Talk, our goal is to move you towards freedom, financial freedom in your own personal way. And we do that with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So we, we want to ride right along with you in this journey to financial independence, just like we do with our clients at KPP Financial. Now, and today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you incrementally towards financial freedom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Incrementally towards financial freedom. You're never going to solve it in one day, one week, one month, or even one year. Well, maybe if you in the lottery, I guess. But for 99.9% of you out there, that's not going to happen. Okay, now our anytime listener line is open. I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. Now, in today's Invest Talk, my main talking point concerns this news that Trump advisor Hassett expects the economy to defy earlier doomsday predictions with 3% growth in the first quarter. We're going to talk about how close that is to reality. Hint, it's closer than it was just a couple months ago or about a month ago. Now, stronger economic data has signaled a continuation of this 3% growth rate that started really the fourth quarter of 2017 when the tax cuts were being or being passed, I should say. So we're going to talk about that. I also have some other topics on my mind as well. The housing market, we're going to talk about the sales decline, what that means in some of the hotter markets of the country, obviously. Fund performance. A lot of people look at fund performance and they think, uh, they, they, they just look at the last couple of years. And we're going to look at what length of time, what type of fund performance should you look at in order to understand whether that's doing well or not so well. Uh, Etc. So we're going to touch on that. And then lastly, five things that reveal how cheap rich people are. I think this is always a good topic to just emphasize that living within your means, saving consistently, those are the two factors that will get you to where you want to be financially. Now that doesn't always jive with your needs and wants from the day to day. And it's always okay to give in to your needs and wants every once in a while. But 
if you want to get where you want to go, then you're going to need to have some sort of discipline. And typically that's discipline in spending just as much as it is in saving and investing as well. So those are the things that are on my mind. Those things that resonated with me. But that's just me. This show isn't about me. Show's about you. So once again, our anytime listener line is open at 888-99 chart 888-992-4278. Now let's take a look at some market news. 16% of S&P 500 companies have reported earnings. That's profits up 6% as opposed to most analysts are expecting negative 2%. Now once again, it's only 16% of the S&P 500. So you're talking roughly 150 of the names versus you still have 350 more names to uh, to cover. I'm sorry, less than that. Less than 100 names uh, have been reported. Sorry, my math was off there for a second. Now, a tight labor market may affect the profits in the future, and we may need some resolution to the Chinese trade situation sometime soon for really corporations to get, I think, rosier, to get more excited about the future. GDP number comes out on Friday. And that's likely to be boosted up from uh, most expectations in the 2-3% range, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. Now, homes are getting more expensive. The National Association of Realtors says home sales fell 4.9% on a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5.21 million in March. That's down from 5.48 million in February. So it continues to get Precipitously, precipitously worse, not in a dramatic fashion, but the drop followed an 11.2% gain the previous month, the largest in more than three years. So you had a little bump because of lower interest rates, but now guess what? Interest rates are slowly ticking back up. Talked about this before. Long-term incomes drive real estate prices, but in the short term, interest rates have a big factor, especially when interest rates are this low, and you get just, you know, a, a few tenths of a point higher on a on a rate, that can change the optics and the financials when it comes to purchasing a home and how much those offers come in at. So that's a that's that's a big factor. Now, median price of homes has increased to two hundred fifty nine thousand, and once again, mortgage rates are continue to to rise. So. That is why you're seeing less sales because prices remain relatively elevated, but that can only last for so long because what happens when prices stay elevated and sales decline, well, you have inventory start to pile up and eventually higher inventory, lots of inventory turns, uh, creates desperate sellers and lower home prices in the future. Now, oil is now $65 per barrel, nearly, nearly a six-month high. Regular gasoline at the pump is now edging $2.84 per gallon here in the United States. Obviously, a lot more here in California with the added taxes. And the U.S. State Department has now fully enacted sanctions on Iranian oil. That boosted oil prices once again today. So those are all topics that are happening right now in the market and in our economy, and they're very, very important. So we can talk about some of those, all of those, none of those, whatever is on your mind. So you can call in now. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART.
listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99 is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Siraj. How are you doing, Siraj, in Fremont? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for calling. I have 401k question. Sure. Um, generally, I reach a maximum limit by August, September time period every year. So is there any other options available where we can invest our pre-tax money? Pre-tax money. You know, there's only the 401k. If you max out that, you're kind of stuck. If you do that, then you can't open up an IRA. You can't put up a Roth. You can't do anything. You're stuck. You put it, you max it out in your retirement 401k. You can put less in the 401k and open up an IRA, but as long as you don't make too much money salary-wise. But okay. no, Siraj, you're kind of stuck when you max out your 401k. Unless you're right. self-employed. Are you self-employed? Uh, no, I work for a company. Okay. See, if you're self-employed, you can set up a different kind of retirement plan. But if you work for a company, you're kind of stuck. Sorry, Siraj. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Chris in Lancaster, how you doing? All right, pretty good. Uh, I was calling about the term 200 moving day average. Yes. And how does that relate to a stock? Okay. Are you familiar with moving averages? No, not really. Okay, good. Once you learn what a moving average is, then it'll make a lot more sense to you. Trust me, Chris, there's a lot of people out there that think they know, but probably don't know. <laughs> yeah, they just don't want to ask the question. You know? Oh, yeah. We all know what an average of something is. You can yes. take a number of things, divide it by the number. Now, a moving average of the stock price, let's say the stock price is at $10 today. Uh-huh. Tomorrow, it's at $20. Okay? There's okay. two days. Now, I can average that price, okay, and it'll be 15. 10 plus 20 okay. divided by 2. That's yeah. an average price for that stock, right? Okay. If I take 10 days, add up each one of them, all 10 days, the price of that stock, and average them, that will be, give me an average of 10 days, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So now you okay. know how to average 200 days, right? Gotcha. Now, to get a moving average is a little bit different. I take the last 200 days. I get an average of those 200 days. I know what the price is. And I place a little dot right there where that average is. Then tomorrow comes along. I drop off the oldest day, 201 days ago. Uh-huh. And I add today's price on that stock. That's 200 days again. I add them all together, divided by 200, and I get another price. It's a little bit different than the day before, right? Yes because the price is a little bit different today. If I keep doing that running along, I get what's called a moving average. Okay. And I plot a line on a chart to show you that moving average. What it does, it just smooths out the price action of the stock. Okay. And why do we use 200 days? Because that's one full year of trading, 200 days in a trading year. Remember, there's 365, but you've got yeah. holidays and weekends. So it okay. represents about 200 days in the trading year. And that is used, a 200-day moving average is used because it's the long-term average of the stock. And the theory is, as long as the stock is above the 200-day moving average, it's in a bull mood. If it's below it, it's bearish, going down. Which is bad to buy. That's right. Okay. That's in a simplistic way. There are times you want to buy below the 200-day moving average, but generally speaking, you want to wait till the stock pops above it, and then you can say, well, I'm now in a bull mood. You know, the stock is in a bull pattern, mm-hmm. bull market pattern. Okay. 
All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Good morning, Steve. Thank you for the show. I really love it. I've learned so much about investing and investing and all that. My question is this. I want to become a day trader. Can you tell me if you think it's profitable in this DNA? Is it easy to get into? That's all. Thank you, Steve. It's easy to call yourself a day trader, and yes, it's easy to get into. Uh, is it easy to be profitable at, to be successful at? Absolutely not. It is extremely hard because it takes lots of discipline, experience, not just in trading today's market, but trading any market, right? This I, I see this a lot recently. It kind of reminds me a lot of the late 90s, and that's kind of what I expect the next recession to look like, you know, drawn out from 2000 to 2003. But I remember back then there were high school students and college students that I'm just going to become a day trader. And it is not easy. You have to really understand charting. Uh, you don't really have to understand the fundamentals, to be frank, because uh, it, it, you're just worried about what's going to happen in the next 10, 20, 30 minutes, couple hours. That's what your most important question is. Uh, and that could be on a particular index, a particular uh, stock. And you can be successful, but Nine out of ten flame out in a short period of time. Why? Because they tend to not have discipline, right? They they chase. They don't have a plan. They don't really know what works uh, and how to shift gears, uh, depending on the market conditions. These things take years and years and years to figure out, to get a feel for to develop a plan that fits your particular personality, right? Everybody's different. Some people are more or less emotional. And if you can get a grasp on your emotions and you can develop a solid plan that you know has worked and will work, you could do well. But it's gonna, you're going to have big ups and downs. You're going to have big months that are great, other months that are terrible, and you need to be able to ride both out. Right, so is it possible? Is it easy to get into? Yes, and that's somewhat of the problem that it's so easy to get into. Because remember, you're uh, competing against big Wall Street banks as well as high-frequency traders and uh, uh, trend-following algorithms and things like that. So you really need to start slow. Don't quit your job and think you're going to make all your money in day trading. It's just probably not going to happen. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I want to hear from you. I'm ready to take your call, your questions. I'm sorry, right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Max and Half Moon Bay. How you doing, Max? Oh, hello there, uh, Steve. Really enjoy your program. Listen Thank to you. it every afternoon. Thank you. I have a question. If you could talk about the styles of investment, uh, I am looking at the five-year performance of two indices: mid-cap growth and small-cap value. Okay. And I'm seeing that pretty much when you superimpose the charts, they're 
pretty much very close to each other. And I'm wondering, when would someone choose one versus the other? Okay, uh, very good question, Max. Very good. Uh, let me give you a little history on what kinds of equities do better and what part of economic recoveries or stock market recoveries. Usually, value stocks, the value mutual funds, work better when the recovery in the economy is, is all well in, in advanced and the stock market has moved up strongly. Usually, value stocks work better. Coming out of recession, usually growth stocks work better. Now, when you go from small cap, small companies, the middle-sized companies, the big companies, Coming out of recession, those small cap companies skyrocket. Going into the recession, they collapse like a stone. Your large cap usually go up and down, but not nearly as much in both scenarios. So when you're coming out of recession, you want to get into the small cap stocks like the Russell 2000, that index. When you get a recovery, you probably want to move up the size and go to maybe small to mid and then some maybe some large. And as the recovery continues, you migrate into the larger stocks and then you start looking for value stocks. The only reason why you would buy one versus the other is understanding where you are in a cycle and you want to take advantage of it. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Max. You know, it's never a perfect science, everybody. I wish we knew exactly when, where we were in the cycle. It's hard to know exactly where you are. My main objective, or my main talking point today concerns the news about the, from, from an, a Trump economic advisor, and his name is, what was it? Kevin Hassett. There we go. He, he said on Monday that, He's seeing stronger economic data that continues to point to 3.3% GDP growth in the first quarter of this year. And in fact, the big question is, is he wrong? Is he right? Well, in a way, he is right. Uh, now, do are we going to get 3%? Probably not. It's still a possibility, but it's much better than what we were expecting just a few weeks ago. Right, We got good reports on retail sales and a lot of other smaller reports that have really slowly pushed the expectations for first quarter GDP growth higher from something with a one handle just about a month and a half ago to definitely something most likely to have a two handle. And the median expectation is now 2.4% from, that's from Moody's Analytics. Now Q1 was as slow as 1% earlier in the quarter. And that's after the government shutdown. But as we all know, the government shutdown is always kind of a, a political sideshow. And it typically doesn't have a really strong effect on the economy because those workers that weren't paid, typically once the government is back open, they get paid uh, again uh, for all the time they just didn't even work, but they're going to get that money and go out there and spend. So the Atlanta Fed GDP Now Tracker, which tends to be pretty optimistic, they expect growth to be 2.8%. Now, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, they're still uh, around the 25 to 2.1% respectively, in their expectations for the first first quarter. But it's clearly a deceleration. We've talked about this for a little while. The economy continues to decelerate. 
and corporate earnings this quarter and next quarter or last quarter are expected to be negative to some degree. Uh, so the big question is, are we back into this rosy 3% growth rate that even we saw back in the Obama administration for a little while? Well, the answer is possibly, and we're in a much better situation than we were just a few weeks ago, but we're not out of the woods by any means. This is an economy that continues to uh, struggle with the China trade uh, war. You have wage inflation that is picking up, which you would think is a good thing, right? And wages are rising, and you're right, it is. But what that also, when, when you have such a tight labor market that we have right now, that squeezes corporate profits. And corporations stop hiring because the cost to hire just becomes way too high or they just allow natural uh, exit of the workforce, right? Retirees, they don't replace them. We, they simply fill those roles by existing employees. So that's typically what happens when wage growth accelerates. And it typically accelerates going into a recession, right? Because inflation picks up. And when, like I said, the uh, corporation's purse strings get a little tighter, they may not invest in uh, CapEx, things like that, and that is part of the reason why you eventually roll over into recession. So, there are some pauses about the economy, but certainly not what we saw maybe a year ago today. 888 chart 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, one in four young people dip into 401ks to pay off debt. And this is a real problem. Experts say the short-term relief that you may feel from paying down debt is not worth the long-term consequences of taking money out of your retirement savings early. So we're going to touch on that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. To win, all effective investors use a process. And listeners call Invest Talk every day asking to share our winning process. And they too can win using the right analytical tools. Just what do we use as our everyday go to research tool? Y Charts. It's a cloud based financial research platform. It is indispensable. Y Charts has the powerful tools of a terminal combined with the ease of use of a modern website. We use Y Charts every day. YCharts is easy to navigate, visually awesome, and informative. YCharts has filters driven by thousands of metrics, Excel integration, and data visualization to create charts that compare stocks, funds, indices, and more. If you're a serious investor, you'll understand that the precision functionality in YCharts is not free. But YCharts has more horsepower and by far better data and filters compared to a giveaway tools from Yahoo or Google. YCharts is a fraction of the cost of something like Bloomberg Terminal. And now our listeners can try YCharts for free. You just heard Steve and Justin endorse YCharts. It's the lightning-fast research, data filter, and charting tool they use every day for their investment portfolios. Think about it. Steve is right. Free software cannot come close to the power, speed, ease of use, and practical functionality of YCharts. And serious investors understand that YCharts can pay for itself with just one or two targeted investment selections. So here's your chance to take advantage of a free trial and a generous YCharts discount. 
Start by mentioning Invest Talk when you go to YCharts.com. Get serious, get YCharts. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Alex in San Diego, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking my call. Well, you know what? I love it when you call, so it's you. I, man, I just answer the questions. Well, my question is I'm just breaking into the stock market and um, I'm looking for uh, something to, you know, to be able to read about it, and uh, where would be a good place to go get information? Okay, great, 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 great. Okay, there's several places I'm going to talk about first, and of course, I hope you like reading. I do. Okay, good. For a good resource, in other words, you come across something, I wonder what that means. Go to investopedia.com, investopedia, I-N-V-E-S-T-O-P-E-D-I-A.com. Okay. Investopedia. That's a great place. You can type in terms and stuff and find out. And they have lessons from beginner to advanced. It's a pretty good website for that. And I have no tie to that website, but I use it. Yeah, because I like it. If you're just getting started, I would suggest you read the book. Uh, it's a very easy book to read, Beating the Street by Peter Lynch. It's been out for a number of years. Peter Lynch is one of the best investors out there. He's a mutual fund guy for Vanguard for years and years. He retired. It's very easy to read. It gives you a nice overview. It's only a couple of 100 pages. And you're done, and you have a good idea how stocks work. What makes okay. it go up? What makes it go down? When you get more advanced, I have a lot more advanced books to give you. But if you're just starting out, reading a couple of Peter Lynch's books are good. There's others that are very, very good. Another book that's not in print that I really liked and enjoyed years ago was a book called A Thousand Miles from Wall Street by Tony Gray. I don't know if that's around. You probably get it at a library, but I don't know if you can get it in print anymore. But if you can, I would suggest that. Now, there's a book list on our website, so when you get those under your belt, you just move on to more and more books. Uh, okay, and then investopedia.com, that would be the place to go on the web. Yeah, for learning about investing, yes. Okay, very it's good. It's a really Thanks. good site, really. Take a look at it. If you don't like it, uh, I'll give you some more. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Alex. Okay, thank you. Let's go to Ben in Gilroy. Hi, Ben. How you doing? I've been to Gilroy several times. Been to the Gilroy Garlic Festival, even. <laughs> good. Good, yeah. Well, I've been here three years. I've never been to it. <laughs> no? I, boy, it's crowded, though, I'll tell you that. But it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, would you recommend somebody using their line of credit, which is about half the amount of percentage rate to pay off credit card debt? You know, I don't like credit card debt, as you know. I mean, I just it's expensive. Right. That's why I don't like it. It's so expensive. Now, the problem with using your line of credit, usually that's your house as your backup as far as uh, collateral, right? Right. My problem with that debt is the interest rates can rise and fall. Oh. You know, it's not tied into a fixed rate a line of credit. So they rise and fall with interest rates. Yeah. My biggest problem with that, Ben is I don't want you to fall back into the trap and go right back to using that credit card again. I don't have a problem with credit cards. I really don't. But I believe you should pay off that debt every month. You know, So if you're going to use it, just make sure you have the money at the end of the year, end of the month, to pay it down, to get rid of that, so you don't have to pay interest. Right. But I would say, yeah, the answer would be yes, and then it would be behoove you to try to get that paid off as fast as you can. Right. Much less interest. Much less interest. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call. 
We're going to go to Brian in San Diego. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, sir. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. What's the difference between a Roth IRA and a standard IRA? Okay. And you know what? Uh, I'll bet you, Brian, there are a lot of people out there have the same question, just don't want to ask it. It's very simple. Both are retirement vehicles, obviously. Right. Roth IRA. The only difference you have is how the taxes are treated. Okay? In a Roth IRA, you make money, you earn money right now, and you say, I'm going to put my money into a Roth IRA. Well, the money that you're putting in there is taxed, income taxed. So it's after tax. It's just regular money that you have left over you're going to put in there. Now, a regular IRA is after tax. In other words, if you put $3,000 in a Roth IRA, it's after tax money. If you put $3,000 in a regular IRA, you get to take that $3,000 off your adjusted gross income. So you don't have to pay taxes on it. Now, once it's in the IRAs, since a regular IRA, you never pay taxes on the money going in, when you start taking it out when you're 65, you have to pay taxes on it every dime you take out of a regular IRA. So let's say you put $3,000 and over the years it grew to $10,000. When you take that $10,000 out, you got to pay tax on the entire $10,000. In a Roth IRA, since you paid tax on the money when you put it in, and it grows from $3,000 to $10,000, when you start taking it out, you never have to pay taxes on it. So that whole 10000 you don't have to pay taxes on now, ever. So on the growth in a Roth 4 IRA, on the growth, as it grows over the years, you never pay taxes in a Roth, but you do pay taxes on all the money in a regular IRA. And there's no difference in uh, distribution as far as the age goes. You have to be, what, 59 and a half or something like that? On a Roth, the difference is, is you never have to take it out. Okay. But on a regular IRA, you have to start taking out at 70 and a half. Okay. Because they want their tax dollars on that money. Sir, you're, you're a scholar. I want to thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate the call. Nice evening. Thank you. Thank you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Wow, this hour has gone by fast. We're only about 15 minutes left. So if you're going to call, you want to do it sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little bit about the housing market. Now, a year ago today, we still had a very hot housing market, very hot housing market. But you started to see the cost of borrowing increase about mid to latter part of the third quarter last year. And buyers in the tightest U.S. housing markets are finally getting what they've been wanting for many years now, and that is inventory. Uh, just like I talked about at the top of the show, this is really the story right now in the housing market. And... <clears throat> Two years ago, three years ago, I was saying, well, we should need more inventory. We need more inventory, and there'll be more sales. Well, what's happened is inventory has gone up because sales have gone down. Now, in Salt Lake City, listings have jumped 53% in the month of March from one year ago. Transactions are down 21%, which is the biggest drop in the country, and you have... Uh, a lot of other big markets that are also seeing big home sales declines year over year. LA, just north of where I'm at, Las Vegas, just uh, just east of where I'm at, 
and Orange County is where I live, and we're down 16% year over year. And this has pushed inventory up 53% in Salt Lake, like I said, 15% in LA, Vegas 23, Orange County 21, Seattle, Washington, another area, down 15% in sales uh, year over year, and inventory is up 83%. San Jose, very similar, down 14% in sales, Inventory is up 104% year over year. That is what you do not want to see if you own homes in those regions, okay? And I've been saying this for a little while. The last two to three years, I've been telling every client that we talk to, every listener, that if you are looking to sell, you want to do it sooner rather than later. You don't want to wait until inventory starts to surge. You want to wait until, uh, you want to do it in a seller's market as opposed to a buyer's market. And as those that inventory continues to increase, it suddenly has become maybe not a complete buyer's market, but definitely at least neutral in some markets. And in some markets, yes, an outright seller's mar- or buyer's market because sellers are starting to become more and more desperate as their homes sit on the market a little, little longer. So really what we're going to, really the big problem continues to be aff- affordability. Buyers stepped back last year after mortgage rates went up and prices didn't drop. And on top of that, people are starting to realize, especially now with filing of taxes and talking to your accountant, Trump's tax plan is punishing prices in high-priced areas. Why? Because there's limits to how much you can deduct, right? And on top of that, the standard deduction has increased. So before when you needed that mortgage interest write-off to get to that standard deduction or part of, or not standard, but part of that itemized deduction. Now, a lot of people who might buy a home, that mortgage interest deduction doesn't really apply because their standard deduction now is so much higher. So it's certainly impacted the tax effect owning a home, buying a home, having a mortgage on a home has for your average person. So that is another factor that is starting to slowly hit the market, especially those in high price areas. Now, nationally, purchases of previously owned homes dropped 4.9% in March from the previous month. And in the fourth quarter, sales of new homes in Orange County, here in Orange County, was the weakest since the Great Recession which includes Irvine, which is a very, very popular uh, city to live in, and especially uh, <clears throat> overseas buyers. A lot of Chinese buyers are buying have been buying in Irvine, and that's slowing down as well. Now, we're starting to hear some pickup in sales here in Orange County in the Pacific Northwest, but it's very, very early, and part of that is just lower mortgage rates. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We stream and broadcast Invest Talk live in the 4 o'clock Pacific time hour, each weekday, it's also available 24-7 via our archived podcast at investtalk.com. And of course, you can listen, subscribe, rate, Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And now the lines are open and we're taking your financial or investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead, 
and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. You'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. My name's Jeff. I'm a nurse living here in Las Vegas. Hey, Steve, I really uh, respected your judgment until you told me you don't watch Game of Thrones. Anyways, uh, kidding, but um, my question was regarding a short sale versus a put. Uh, what would lead you to do one over the other? I have mostly been day trading and doing short sales, and it's been mildly successful, but I just bought my first option a trade the other day and just wanted to know if either of you could distinguish between, between the two. Thanks for your show. I'm an avid listener, and I look forward to hearing it. Bye. Well, I will say this about Steve. Even though he doesn't watch Game of Thrones, he has read all the books. Uh, he he read those books well before it was ever a show. Steve's a very avid reader. He loves all types of books, so um, doesn't shock me at all. He'll read a whole book in a weekend. So, um, but I do love Game of Thrones, but I haven't read the books. Maybe I will one day. Anyway, short sale versus a put. Short sale versus a put. Now, where would I do one versus the other? Um, Put is something you need to have a strong thesis for a time frame. And that could be, right, there got to be some sort of catalyst. That could be an earnings announcement. It could be something in relation to a competitor coming out with its own products. Uh, it could be something economic where you see a recession in X amount of time and that's going to affect this type of uh, company. And then you buy a put with a certain time frame on it. Uh, because you see a particular catalyst. Now, a short sale, you probably want a catalyst as well, but short sale, there's no real expiration, right? There's you, you just want the company to not do so hot in the future or the market to suddenly figure out your thesis that things aren't as rosy maybe as the market is priced in. And you need a catalyst for that. But you might not know when that catalyst might hit. Right, So if you understand precisely what the catalyst is going to be and when it's likely or certain to hit, like an earnings announcement for, for instance, then I could say buying a put makes sense. And you also define your risk. Whereas a short sale, theoretically, is unlimited risk. Us for clients, you know, we shorted Tesla back in 2017 well above where it is today, but it's been a bumpy ride, a lot of drops and pops and along the road. If we bought puts, you know, it could have expired worthless. Okay, so, you know, we're still prof very profitable in it, even though there's a lot of volatility in it. So for me, I like outright shorts. I know there's a lot more capital involved and uh, the, the the return doesn't get as exciting as, as a put and you know n no individual position ever will in relation to an option, right? Because options always have very asymmetric large payouts, either 100% down or hundreds of percent up, right? And that's typically how options work. 
So it depends how much risk you want to take, depends on your time horizon, depends on the name, depends on the applied volatility, how expensive are put options. All those things come into play. So I hope that gave you a framework of how to think about it. There's no right answer for that applies to everybody, but maybe for you, that framework can give you the answer. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal each and every weekday here on Invest Talk, and that is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in. We're going into the last segment. And I want to hear from you. If you're going to call in, you need to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it at 888-99-CHART. Now's the best time. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Josh in San Francisco for us. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. You know, the question I had was about variable annuities. My mother purchased one in her IRA. Oh, that's terrible. To take things back, she had a bad experience during the uh, pullback in the stock market, never wanting to invest in the market again before. And because the annuity offered a guarantee, she was able to get back in the market. It was about four years ago. And the account's been doing great. And I know the costs are a little bit higher. My question is, what do you think about variable annuities? And without the guarantee, she would have probably stayed in savings or a fixed account. Josh, that's what they do. They sell them to the older people because they need that safety net. But they also are very attracted to the growth prospects. And, you know, I don't want to badmouth annuities completely. There are places for them. First of all, to put an annuity, which is a tax-deferred instrument, inside a tax-deferred instrument of an IRA makes no sense to me at all. Because you're tax-deferred for the 7 or 10 years that the annuity lasts. You know, you have to keep it forever a length of time. Yeah. Most of them are tax-deferred already. So why put, you know, you're not getting any tax benefit because you already have the tax benefit, number one. Number two, the structure is such that, that it's complex. These things are devised by insurance companies and very, very complex issues. The average person can't understand how to calculate their returns because they're so complex. The fees are very high. You know what? They're really good when the market is collapsing because you have that floor. That's very good. But the reason why they make you hold on to them for 10 years, because any 10-year period in the stock market has always been up. So the people issuing these annuities know that they're going to make the money off of you. She's in a balanced account, and it's been averaging about 10% a year. So, I mean, she's a lot happier than if she would have stayed in a, in a CD. Well, that, you know, it's, if it's working for her and she likes it, I'm glad she's happy. How old is she? Okay, she should not renew it because she's going to start needing that money. And some of them allow you to take out 10% a year, but she should not renew it in her IRA. She only had a three-year commitment with it. That's very short. That's unusual. I've always seen them seven to 10 years. The biggest problem is the getting out of annuity because a lot of people need the money before the time and they sell them to old people. Oh, I see. 
and a lot of times they need the money sometime during that seven to ten year period and they can't get it without a nice stiff penalty and then usually when they pull it out not only do they have a stiff penalty but they have to pay taxes on it at ordinary income tax level and the argument there was well they're older so they don't have a lot of taxes so therefore they're going to be taxed at a regular a low rate well that's not as low as 15 percent capital gains tax there's a lot of reasons not to like them josh be very careful okay okay thank you thanks for the call john santa cruz you want to talk about gold coins hey justin how you doing well how you doing yes i've got about oh 70 or eighty thousand dollars worth of gold coins and i've had them since oh about 2010 and over that period of time, it's not been a very good place to have, you know, gold because it mm-hmm. yeah. hasn't really done anything. Well, you started off well, um, right? 2010, 2012, yeah. pretty good. Yes, yes. If I'd sold then, it would have been fine, but I held them. And so uh, I have a, uh, maybe a 10% loss if I were to sell the coins. What I'm, what I'm asking is... Um, I want to use the money for travel over the next 10 years, take scuba diving trips maybe every year. And so I was wondering about selling all the gold, you know, just getting rid of it and put it in the stock market. Um, and then just, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I'm going to do a trip, take the money, sell some stock, take the money out, or leave the gold alone and then just sell it slowly as, as I take the trips. So, um, or I would do the latter. Uh, from from a long term valuation standpoint, I think gold is closer to a, a longer term bottom than stocks are. I think stocks are closer to a longer term high than uh, so. Okay. And from a a, a valuation standpoint, from a ratio of uh, the the Dow to gold prices, we're at historic lows. So odds are gold over the next X number of years are likely to outperform stocks in general. Um, so now, does that mean it's going to start happening next year or the year after? We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. But if you're talking over the next 10-year time horizon, I would imagine your gold is likely going to do better than stocks starting from these prices. Thanks for the call, John. I'm Justin Klein. And this completes another Invest Talk program. And I thank you for your loyal support and questions. I'll be back here tomorrow sitting in for Steve, who will be back on Wednesday from his vacation. Thanks for tuning in. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions 
on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 